question. How many of you uh, made any kind of New Year's resolution for 2023? I'm not going to ask you what it is. I'm just asking if anybody made any New Year's resolutions. You can put your hand up, please. Is your New Year's resolution not to respond physically to anything the pastor says? I refuse to be manipulated. Is it really only four people? All right, just I I got a different message then, okay. (laughs) Everything yes. It's like, if yes, this, if no, we're going this direction then. How many of you have ever in your life made a New Year's resolution? Okay, so you're just defeated. Life just beat you up and you've given up. You're done. You've learned your lesson. No more New Year's resolutions. New Year's Day is just another day. Nothing changes, right? Can you play along with me and humor me on this then? Okay. I'm just going to suggest that perhaps there is room for some New Year's resolutions. I'm just going to throw that out there. Just, I hope you're open to that idea. So if for the three of us who made New Year's resolutions, maybe you wrote it down, uh, maybe it's just a mental thing that you got locked away there, maybe you've shared it with someone, you ever done that, made a New Year's resolution and shared it with somebody, like put on Facebook and then you're like, oh no, and every year Facebook reminds you of what an utter failure you've been, have you done that? And um, maybe maybe your New Year's resolution involves someone else, you kind of have to really work at that. Um, So again, how many of you now will acknowledge that you've made at least one New Year's resolution for 2023? So nobody here needs to lose any weight. That's interesting. Okay. You're going to make me work for it today, aren't you? I don't ask what you were doing last night while you were groggy. Statistically, and this, we're just so exceptional as a group. Statistically, 40 to 50% of Americans make some sort of New Year's resolution. 40 to 50%. We're more like 2.5%. But 40 to 50%... And according to the same study, 50% of those, uh, very, those very New Year's resolutions are broken by the end of the first week. And you're like, I know that. That's why I don't do, play that game anymore. So you got, but here's the deal. Like if you, um, it's the first of January. So if you've made any New Year's resolutions, or maybe you haven't, but you still have time. Like by the end of the day, you could make a New Year's resolution and you got all week to, to keep it. And then by next Sunday, you're, you're done with it and you're good to go. Forget it. Try next year. Another study compiled a list of the most popular New Year's resolutions so before I uh, read them to you, I'm just, I'm just curious. I think we could probably guess what's going to be one of the top New Year's resolutions, what it has to do with. And I've already hinted at it. Right, we're going we're gonna to bulk up, gain some weight this year. No, that's not what you mean when you say weight. Okay, I gotcha. So you're talking about taking some weight off, okay? Um, number one has to do with weight and eating, which is really remarkable because, I don't know, I, I read some news. Isn't the economy bad? Like, aren't groceries more expensive than they've ever been? You know, every, every, every item on every restaurant menu has gone up significantly. Like, and aren't we, like, super educated about diet when it comes to things like this? We still eat too much of the wrong stuff. Did you know this is uniquely American? Like, oh, my gosh, we, like, we can't have enough money, but we never have enough money, but, oh, wow, I'm eating too much of the wrong stuff. Um, that is very unique to us in the world. But here are the top 10, according to this study, top 10 New Year's resolutions, um, you don't have to raise your hands, just listen, and then there's a fresh one on here that might surprise you. It hasn't made the list, but for the last few years. So number one, lose weight. Number two, get out of debt slash save money. You ever done that one? You don't have to raise your hand, but number three, get a better job. You're like, oh, darn, I wish I'd thought of that one. You can have it. You can have it. I'll give it to you for this year. Get a better job. Number four, spend more time with family. Often those are connected. Number five, quit smoking. And it's number five. So if you're a smoker, I suggest you move that to the top because we love you and we want you around for a long, long time. 
Because if you lose weight, if you do number one and you lose weight and you do number two and you get out of debt, really none of that matters if you keep smoking because you aren't going to be around to benefit from that. So uh, I'm just saying move that to the top. Number six, eat better. Kind of goes with the first one. Number seven, apparently, go back to school. Like, number eight, <laughs> reduce stress. And I'm like, go back to school and reduce stress at the same time? Like, what are we talking about? Number nine, go greener. And then the last one, I think this is total guilt trip, uh, New Year's resolution. Number 10, help others. So the first eight are like totally self-absorbed. And then there's go greener, which you could say is about the benefit of other people, but most, like, just to be a little cynical, it's probably just so you can say you're going greener. So number 10, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, one of my New Year's resolutions is to help others more. If it's number 10, you aren't going to do it. So let's just be honest, right? I don't always make New Year's resolutions. I have in the past. Um, I've succeeded at some of them, um, obviously. Uh, some, okay. some of them, it was just a joke how, path- how pathetic I was at following through, obviously. Sometimes I keep them to myself. Sometimes I share them with somebody or like with my wife or whatever. But I don't know about you, but I'm a goal setter. Um, I had goal setting. Are any of you goal setters? I had goal setting instilled in me at a very uh, young age. In the Christian school I grew up in, um, our curriculum was set up so that you would progress at your own pace, obviously within reason, and we set academic, like daily academic goals, and, so, and they were written out. And some of us set goals for the school year, which then determined how we set goals for each week and each day. It's like, I want to be here by the end of the year, divided by 40 weeks, divided by, and we nerded out and figured out how much to do each day, some of us. So the way it worked was if you got all your goals completed for the day and obviously got guidance on that as well, then you didn't have any homework that night. But if you failed to meet your goals, you would take that home for homework, and sometimes it would be a lot of homework. And then some of us nerd types would just we just took homework home just because that's what we love to do i know so a few years ago i was introduced to um that was instilled in me at a young age but a few years ago i was introduced to a management concept where in addition to long-term planning you then work out the details and the time commitments and the scheduling in six-week increments and that model fits so well in my goal-setting tendencies that i've been working with that approach ever since for over 10 years now And then a couple years ago, I was introduced to this idea of a fixed calendar. And I put those two ideas together, the six-week calendar and the fixed calendar, and it has has changed the way I spend my time. And since most of what I, but here's the thing, most of what I do in my life, in the life of the church and in relationships and in leading our church in the mission that God has called us to, to make disciples, it's hard to quantify. Like, it's hard to measure. It it doesn't compute real well. Uh, There's no formula. Like, I can't put it into a spreadsheet and generate a chart and know exactly, you know, where we stand. Like, what, what do I quantify? How do I get it on a chart so I can look at it and know we're moving up and to the right? Like, so whenever and wherever I can then, I do like to have some clearly stated goals. And there are certain seasons of the year that just lend themselves to clarifying and restating and maybe even reprioritizing around some clearly defined goals. So the beginning of a new year is certainly one of those natural times to do that. So I don't know about you, but I have some goals for 2023. I really hope you do. We're we're joking some, but I really hope you do have some goals for this next year. I have some, you're like, I just want to be better than 2022. Well, that's the extent of your goal setting. Good luck with that. We got to get specific, all right? So I have some health goals. 
I have some financial goals. I have some goals for some relationships. I have some goals for the health of relationships, I mean. I have some goals for my ministry. I have some goals for the way I manage my time. I have some goals for my personal growth and development, and I hope you do too. So now, having said all that, how many of you are goal setters? Like, so like, I might have a document on Google Drive. I might. And you have like a three-ring binder. It's all indexed and color-coded, and you've, you know, I know who you are. I saw that. Okay. You couldn't wait for 2022 to end. Like, you're up at 12.01 last night, this morning. You're like, got the new binder out, you know, and you're doing some, you're comparing it to last year's, and you're evaluating. Look at all the things you accomplished last year. If, you know, so anyway, here's the deal. It could be an illness, that whole thing. But anyway, I want to talk with you about a couple things this morning. I want to talk about a personal attainable goal for 2023. And then I want to talk about something that's much bigger than that. I want to talk about a mission, a mission not only for us as individuals, but for us as a body of believers in this church. So let's talk about this personal goal. For years, I have been answering people's questions about the Bible. People will come up to me, they'll text me, they'll email me, they'll, they'll post Bible questions on my Facebook and for the most part, I've tried to answer their questions best I know how. My favorite, though, is when someone asks me, you know, like, where in the Bible does it say, I love that. I just love that one. Because like, yeah, Pastor Todd, where in the Bible does it say that we're supposed to make disciples? So while they still have their phone in their hands, because they just sent, they just press send, I open up my Bible app, I type in make disciples and hit search bar and the little magnifying glass thing, you know what, that'll change your life. And bam, oh, that's easy. Yeah, that's Matthew 28, 19. And it's like, oh, pastor, you're so smart. I wish I knew the Bible like you do. I wish I went to seminary, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm letting you in on a little secret here. There was a day, okay, there was a day that if you were looking for, I might need some help. Uh, if you were looking for a specific Bible verse, for a specific word or phrase in the Bible, you would have to dig out one of these. This is, this is Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. It's called that because you have to be strong and you get exhausted carrying it around. That's why it's called that. It was originally published, not this one, but it was originally published in, and this is of the, of the King James Version. It was originally published in um, 1880. Uh, this one was originally in the, uh, li from the library of Peter Bartow of Carsdale, Nova Scotia. And it was obviously gifted to my dad because it says here, Dr. Bob Crossway, Granville Ferry, Nova Scotia. Um, so it was handed down to me a couple times. So it, it actually wasn't that many years ago that if you wanted to uh, do a little word study and find uh, certain words and phrases in the Bible, you had to get one of these out. Um, you had to buy one, first of all, go to the Christian bookstore. Remember those? And buy one of these, look up specific words in the Bible. This is every word in the King James Bible uh, indexed with the exception of 47 words, wait, that occur very frequently, but are also indexed in the preface. So that's important. If you want to know how many times the word and and the is in there, you can find out. I guess what I'm saying to you is there is no need. That was awesome. There's no need for uh, you to purchase expensive concordances that just collect dust on your shelf. There's no need to have a seminary degree in order to not be functionally illiterate when it comes to the Scripture. We have so many tools at our disposal. I don't know if we're really aware of the, the day we're living in, this information age, and how much access we have. One of my favorite tools has been the Bible app for a lot of years now, the Bible app. 
The Bible app was launched as uversion.com by Life Church in Oklahoma. Craig Rochelle is a pastor there at Life Church. The model at Life Church has always been to develop great resources for their church and then to give those resources away. We've been using their resources for years. I did a video a few years ago where they asked people to just to, to send a message to their volunteers and their development team, and I had an opportunity to express how grateful we were for the resources they've, they've, uh, they've provided for us over the years. We've used their resources in FCF Youth. We use them in Jammers. We use them in Jammers today. We use them in small groups. We use the, their church online platform, the one that we use. That's from Life Church, and they give it all away. So the Bible app is a free app. It's been downloaded over 500 million times. It's over half a billion times. And I know Zondervan and Thomas Nelson, they give some Bibles away, but they've never given away half a billion Bibles. It's a simple, ad-free uh, Bible. It brings God's Word into your daily life. And, and, and see, in generations past, the access people had to the Bible was at times very limited. Like, and yes, in the 15th century, the printing press put the Bible in the hands of the public for the very first time, and eventually that led to the Protestant Reformation. But even then, so few people were literate that access to the Bible and firsthand knowledge and understanding of the Bible uh, wasn't very widespread. But today, that, that's no longer the case. Do you know in the Bible app, you can read the Bible in over 1,600 languages, Churches and organizations like Life Church are leading the way in utilizing technology to demonstrate how the Word of God relates to everyone. So for years, I've been challenging people in this church to actually read the Bible. So I want to challenge you. It's the first day of a new year. And most of us have, not had, have no New Year's resolutions and very few goals. So here's one. This can be your New Year's resolution. I challenge you to download the Bible app, or if you already have it on your device, or on your phone, or your tablet, or actually open it, or if you're at home, you're more comfortable, like on your laptop or your desktop at home, go to Bible.com. Either way, open the Bible app and click on the plans button. You should do this this afternoon. You can do it right now if you want to. I don't mind. Find a reading plan that works for you. If you've never done a reading plan, um, and you've never been able to stick with reading, how many of you have ever done a reading plan and and kind of gotten off track and have found it difficult to finish. Anybody? Okay, good. Yeah, that's all of us. Everybody who's done a reading plan has experienced that, okay? I would suggest that you find a one-year New Testament reading plan, and you can just search that, and you open up the Bible app. Is there a picture? Oh, look at that. Find plans. There's a little magnifying glass up there, and there's, you can search by New Testament one year. Find a reading plan like that. I, I would suggest one year New Testament. You're going to read less than a chapter a day. And by the end of 2023, you will have read the entire New Testament. You can see a calendar view. You can get all the content for your daily reading in an email if you'd like it that way. Uh, you can share your daily reading on social media. I'd be very careful about that. That can get obnoxious. Uh, you can even send regular automated email reports to accountability partners. So if you want someone to hold you accountable to this New Year's resolution, this goal that you're setting, uh, set them up to get an e automatic email so they can track where you're at in your reading plan. One of the greatest features of the Bible app is the Catch Me Up feature. How many of you ever used the Catch Me Up button on your Bible reading plan? Yeah, exactly. So I used to do Bible reading plans back when it was like on a bookmark. And if I get behind, I have to get my calculator out and figure out, oh, no. It was kind of in the Christian school. Again, we were encouraged to do this through the school years to read, read the Bible in nine months. And I'm like, oh, no, I know when the last day of school is. I've got to do some math here. 
not in the Bible app. Just click to catch me up, and it recalculates for you. You're going to read a little more every day, but you're still going to finish at your target date. I know this sounds a little bit like a commercial for the Bible app. I don't care. Because I found a tool that I love. I know a lot of you are using it too. Some of you read the Bible on your computers. Some of you are using a tablet. Some re- I usually read on my phone. Um, it doesn't really matter how you get it into you. I just want you to be familiar and comfortable and knowledgeable about the Scripture. And I've heard all the excuses. I've heard them all. The, the, the first one is, well, I'm so busy. I just don't have time. I just don't have time. Look, I'm sure God completely understands why you're neglecting his word. He understands what, I'm not going to look at anybody. He understands how important you are, that how important, what important things you have to do, how busy, he totally gets that. He's just the creator of the universe like, and has revealed himself through the printed word. But he gets it. Like he, he's, sorry. Or there's this one. Well, I'm not much of a reader. Hey, that one I can understand. Like I can understand why reading the Bible is such a challenge if you're not much of a reader. It's intimidating for those of us who like to read. Did I mention that there's a feature in the Bible app where you can listen to the Scripture passage? Ah, now that excuse is gone. Ah, interesting. <laughs> there's this one. I don't understand what I'm reading. I don't understand it. I'm just curious. You ever read parts of the Bible you didn't understand? Anybody? Okay. Here's another question. Did you go to school at all? Like, isn't this what we do in school? Like, didn't you read about things in school that you didn't understand? That eventually, through the reading, through the interaction with teachers and other students, then eventually you came to understand, right? So like, this is a college algebra textbook. Keep this on my shelf, just because you never know. You never know (laughs) when you're going to... We just did new schedules for the ministry teams, and we have to do some algebra to make all that work. So I keep this around. It's not mine. Um, Aaron loaned it to me. Been a long time since I studied algebra. But like you, when I opened my first algebra lesson, I took one look at it, and I'm like, I don't understand any of this. I'm not looking at this. I'm not reading this. I'm not st- Somebody tell me what this means. Some monkey went crazy on a keyboard because there are letters in my math. Like, what is happening? This is too confusing. But that's not what we did. We stayed with it, didn't we? Because we were so curious to learn about equations and inequalities and coordinate systems and polynomials and rational functions and sequences and problems. No, 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 we needed the credit to get out of this place. So we dug into some stuff we didn't understand and we learned it. Why would we do any less with the Word of God? So, in addition to the Bible app, which will help you read the scripture, I got to tell you about the Bible project because this will help you understand. And there's a ton of content from the Bible project already integrated into the Bible app. And again, the Bible project is available online and as its own app. The Bible project has a ton of these like kind of infographic videos on things like how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible, word studies, book overviews, gets really into it. The Bible project is designed to explore the entirety of the biblical text to see and understand how this ancient text, this ancient collection of history and narrative and poems and prose really uh, is a unified story that leads to Jesus. So, There are tools out there. Let's not let our limited understanding be a barrier. Let's push through that. Let's utilize tools at our disposal like like people have never experienced before. And let's keep reading. Let's keep engaging. And I promise you, the more that you read, 
the scripture, the more familiar you become with it, the more you know about the writer and the audience and the style of writing and the culture and the issues of the day, the more you will eventually understand. And the more that we understand, ultimately, hopefully the more that we apply to the way that we go about life. So this is a measurable, trackable, achievable goal with huge spiritual implications for all of us. So this is one personal goal I want to challenge you with this morning. I want to talk for a few minutes, though, about a mission. A mission not only for us as individuals, but this is a mission for us as a body of believers in this church. And I understand that like, not everybody's here today because it's a holiday and people are traveling and there's a lot of sickness and all that. But I wanted to talk about this today because I think it's, you know, in the new year, it's good to just kind of let's reset. Everybody comes to church with an expectation, I hope. Our expectations are determined by all kinds of things, by our childhood, by what we've been taught, by good experiences, by bad experiences in church. All, you know, there are all kinds of flavors and colors and feelings and tones. Even in a small town like Ellsworth, Maine, there's every kind of thing in the world that you would expect from a church. So whatever it is, you can find it. But the interesting thing is this. Did you know the church does not belong to the people of the church? You did know that. The church doesn't belong to the founding pastors of the church. The church belongs to the founder of the church, to Jesus himself. The church belongs to Jesus. And he made it very clear in his life what the the point or the purpose of the church would be. And it's interesting when you go from church to church to church, you can wonder sometimes if you're even in like the same realm of Christianity, right? When you look at the different things that churches wrap their identity around, the things that churches focus on. So for just a minute, a few minutes, I want to talk about the bullseye, the grand slam, what it is that Christ originally set up the church to accomplish. Like why we're here, and you know where I'm going if you've been here for like a month, but like why we're here, what the focus is, what the purpose is. And we we find it helpful and essential to revisit this topic on a regular basis, at least once a year to refresh our minds about what it is we're trying to accomplish here at Faith Community. And maybe for you, this gets repetitive, but for me, I don't think we can hear this enough. I don't think we can talk about it enough. I don't think we can revisit this enough because it's so easy to get distracted from the main thing. And the problem in doing like the work of the church, is it's so easy for secondary things to become primary things. So this is my concern. There's always pressure on the leadership of a church. There's always pressure on a congregation to succumb to the secondary things, the secondary purposes, to abandon the thing, like the reason, the bullseye that Christ established the church to accomplish. I spent a few weeks in September, October, and into November talking about some topics that were very church-centric, if you'll remember. Like, we talked about the ordinances of the the church, like baptism and communion. We talked about our church's core values. Uh, We talked about what it looks like to care for one another in the church. We talked about what it is like to be for our community. And then we talked about the role of children and specifically middle schoolers and high schoolers in our church, our responsibility to them. So today, I just want to bring all of that kind of together as we launch into a brand new year, I want to give you a personal challenge, but then I just want to talk with us as a body and remind us why we're here and what does God want to do at Faith Community. You probably guessed we're going to Matthew 28. If you've been around church for very long, you've probably heard at least a dozen messages on this passage, but it's an important passage. That's why. Because in Matthew 28, Jesus gives a charge to a group of people that eventually becomes like the purpose and the focal point and the purpose of the church. 
Now, Jesus at this point's already been crucified. He's been buried. He's risen from the dead. He's gathering his followers together to kind of give them his last words before he ascends to be with the Father. And in Matthew 28, verse 16, it sets it up for us like this. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So this is the thing that has to happen, that we make disciples. That's the imperative. Teaching, baptizing, communicating, all that supports the two words, make disciples. So what's that mean? It means to take people who are not disciples and turn them into disciples. Like, okay, what's a disciple? Do you know disciple isn't even really a Christian word? It isn't a church word, although we use it and hear it mostly in a church context. A disciple is simply a follower and a learner. And so Jesus says to these men, all right, guys, I'm leaving, but uh, I want you to go now and find men and women who are not followers of me, who aren't learning anything about my way, and I want you to turn them into people who follow me, who are constantly learning my way of of approaching the world, and, and that's your mission. And then he exits rather dramatically. And you know what they did? Thankfully, they did exactly what he told them to do. They left that area. They took off in every different direction to go to people who weren't followers or learners of Jesus. And they began to teach and talk about Jesus. And what do you know? Right, like First of all, right there in Jerusalem, a whole bunch of Jews started listening. And thousands of people became learners and disciples of Jesus right there in Jerusalem. And then some of them left Jerusalem and they began to go to all the different parts of the earth and they would come into a city and they would talk in any kind of public forum about Jesus. And most people would turn up their nose just like they do now, but a few would hang back and listen. And they, they would talk to them about Jesus. And before you knew it, they, they had a handful of people who were following the way of Jesus. And they talked to them about all the things that Jesus had told them about. Then they'd go to another city and another city and another city, and and, and soon there were cities where dozens of people had become disciples, learners and followers of the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus left, he left a handful of people who went out and put together pockets of people, and they became known as the church, those who came together to teach and to learn the things of Christ and to live in community with one another. I want to show you a verse, and this is an amazing verse that tells us a lot about who we are as Christians, and maybe you've read this verse, or maybe this verse is new to you, but this verse is found in the book of Acts, which is the story of the first days of the church, and it takes place just a few years after Jesus is gone, and Paul comes along, and he charges out into Europe, and he begins planting churches and supporting churches, and he's, he's going out making disciples everywhere, and there's a city called Antioch, and so if we're looking at the map, it's up there to the right. See how far, it's way up there at the top. It's in present-day Turkey. It's about 450 miles from Jerusalem, okay? Way up there, a group of people had become disciples, and they had come together in an assembly known as a church. And so Barnabas, one of the guys who was instrumental in bringing these people together and making disciples in this area, he calls for Paul, and an interesting thing happens. Let's look at this verse together in Acts chapter 11, verse 25. It says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, or Paul, same person. Just a little aside, do you know God didn't change Saul's name? 
Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name. So once Paul began to focus his ministry on Gentiles, he began to be referred to in the book of Acts by this Roman Gentile name. But for now, uh, we're, it's, they're still, he, they just know him as Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Verse 26. The disciples, let's stop right there. The disciples, let me ask you a question. What kind of people were in this assembly in Antioch? Before we get to the end of verse 26, what's it say? The one that's underlined. I know it's a trick question. They're disciples, okay? See that? All these disciples came together in these assemblies all over, and now at the end of the verse, the disciples are called Christians first at Antioch. So just understand, not the 12 apostles, but all these people who were learners and followers, disciples of Jesus, they were first called Christians in Antioch. So the word disciple was so general that they had to come up for another term to replace the word disciple, but it kind of began to mean the same thing. So instead of calling them disciples, which was a general term, they started calling them Christians because the word Christian means Christ one or being one of Christ's people. So you go all the way back to the hillside with Jesus that day, and here's what he did essentially to the 11, what he said. He said, I want you to go out and make followers and learners. I want you to go out and make Christ ones. I want you to go out and produce in people a passion to follow and learn of me. And then they're going to group up in assemblies. And those assemblies are going to become known as churches. And those churches are assemblies of Christ ones who are committed to making more Christ ones, more learners and followers. And that's exactly what happened throughout history. And that's exactly why we're here today. The mission, the purpose of the church is very simple. It's make disciples. How we go about it is really up to the individual church. That's where things, that's where things kind of, uh, churches take on their own personality. But underlying it all, it's make disciples. It's come together, pool your resources and talents and gifts, encourage one another, get involved in one another's lives, hold each other accountable, worship together, do all of that. But the bullseye, the reason we're here, is to make disciples. So that's what the mission and the purpose of the church is. And there are all kinds of secondary peripheral things that we could get involved in. But the main thing, that with everything else we're doing, one thing's for certain, we're engaged in the process of making disciples. So a church is just a gathering, an assembly of disciples who are making disciples. That's what church is. And the way we say it at Faith Community is that we're, our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus for the good of our community and the sake of the world. Here's the deal. If you choose to partner with us in this church, if you choose to get involved or to keep coming on Sundays, here's what we want of you. We want you as a Christian, as a Christ one, to get involved in the lives of other people, to lead them and love them into a growing relationship with Jesus. If we're going to be a church where, just as Jesus intended the church to be, if we're going to be what he's called us to be, the purpose, the focus, like we're going to budget around it, we're going to staff around it, we're going to program according to it. We want everything we do to be an expression of this process of leading people who aren't followers of Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, to work in the lives of our family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, to change them from the inside out. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the most difficult thing in the, in the whole world, to change a person's whole orientation to life, to relationships, to money, to marriage, to work, to God, it's a ludicrous purpose, you know, and, and, and mission. It, but it's a whole lot easier, you know, to start like a new 
organization, you want to start a new nonprofit, that's pretty easy. Uh, it's a lot easier to, to line up and march and protest and complain about whatever cause uh, you want to choose. It's easier to start a new program or to build a building or to have a Sunday school or to have a youth group or to sing on a worship team because we can get our arms around those things. We don't need God as much to do those things. But this other thing, make disciples, that's pretty much impossible. Make disciples, that's pretty messy. You can't structure it. You can't program it. You can't get people in classes and lined up and you can't chart it. It's not a step one, step two, step three. Now, congratulations, here's your certificate. You're a disciple. So how do you focus and and move a whole organization towards something that's that difficult? I think that's why Jesus included this promise in these words in Matthew 28 where he said, I am with you always. Because this is impossible, this thing he's called us to do. But it is the thing he says that you've got to do if you're going to gather in my name. That's what we want this church to, to be about. I want to say something to four groups of you, or four groups of us, I should say. That's, that these are, um, I think this is important. And then I'm done. Number one, first group. If you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, but as you look around your life, if you're being honest, you'd have to say that you're not really growing. Or maybe you stopped growing a long time ago, Maybe you don't have any intention, really, of putting in the hard work and doing the hard things that are required of you to grow anymore. You've reached a comfortable place. I just want to get clear on the expectations. If we're just filling the seats with Christians who've been in church for a long time and are feeling pretty good about where they're at and they're coming for the show and for the star on their chart, that will ruin us. So if you fit in this category, in this group, I don't don't know what the action step is for you other than to say it's time to get off the sidelines and get into the game. Let's start doing the hard things. Maybe inconvenience yourself just a little bit for the sake of someone else. Maybe read a book that will stretch you. Listen to a book that will stretch you. Listen to a podcast that will challenge you. Maybe join a small group. Maybe have a coffee with someone who will challenge in the way you and the way that you think. That's group number one. Group number two, you're a brand new Christian. You're a brand new Christian and you're, every week you're just like, I will never catch up. I, these people are so far ahead of me. I'm just getting my Bible open and he's been preaching for 20 minutes. I don't know what is going on. I, now I've got to download apps. This is getting really complicated. You know, and you go to group between Sundays. Now he's talking about investing in somebody's life. Oh my goodness. Listen, if you're a new Christian, just relax. You're doing great. You're probably doing more about your spiritual growth than those of us who've been Christians for 40 years because you've already shown somebody your new Bible. You've already talked to them about this app you just downloaded that has videos about biblical things, and you're like, ah. You've talked to somebody already about the change in your life. Your friends have asked you why, so you're willing to tell them. You're trying to explain the answers. So just take a breath and relax. You're doing fine. We've talked about some tools that'll help you grow in your faith. We've got some environments you can plug into for sure, but for the most part, you're doing fine. Group number three, some of you have been with us for a long, long time. Since some of, a handful of you since day one at Faith Community over 25 years ago. Some of you for a long time, it feels like it's been that long. You are insiders, all right? To, to the insiders, I want to say first, thank you. Thank you so much. And I want you to know that we're going to do all we can The elders are doing all we can to keep this train on track, to be the church that Jesus has called us to be. 
So to those of you in this group, I say thank you for your faithfulness to the mission. Thank you for your ownership of your individual responsibility in our corporate vision. You are an inspiration to us. We are an incredibly blessed church. I know we've been, we've been incredibly blessed as pastors and leaders in the church to have people like you on board for this ride. Last group, you're the fence sitters. You're on the outside looking in. You're the one sitting here going, uh-huh, I knew there was an agenda. I knew I was invited here for a reason. It wasn't just free lunch after church. I knew somebody has a plan for my life out there, and they finally got me here. And the person who invited you was like, of all services, this is what you're talking about today. Let me just say this. We do have an agenda for your life. I just want to be upfront about that. But unlike your banker and your financial advisor and your beautician, and unlike your mother-in-law and your kids' coaches, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. What we want for you is to connect with your heavenly father in such a way that, yes, it changes your eternal destiny, but even more than your eternal destiny, it transforms every single relationship between, that you have between now and the time you take your last breath. So yeah, we do have an agenda. Do you know what we want to do? We want to see you become a person who believes and learns and follows Jesus Christ. But you don't have to do it right now. We're not going to get in your face about it. You can come week after week after week. We're not going to make you do a thing. You can just come and listen. You can, when you have questions, bring them. We'll try to answer them. You're not only welcome here, but we planted this church over 25 years ago for you. Because 2,000 years ago, our Savior stood on a hill and said, this is the deal. Make disciples. And so we've come together the best way that we know how to create an environment and environments that are conducive for you to slowly, eventually become a disciple, a learner, a follower of Jesus. Church, I just want you to know um, there's, some, there's some really exciting, unbelievable stuff that goes on here beyond the Sunday morning gathering. And the Sunday morning's pretty good. But there's stuff happening in the lives of people. And we are on track. We're on mission. We're doing what God has called us to do as a church, and we're, we're making disciples. There are a lot of other good things that we could do that we're probably never going to do. But in the wake of this church, there will be people who will say, I used to not believe, now I believe. I used to not be a follower, and now I'm a follower. Used to be I could care less, and now I'm a learner. And that's why Jesus planted the church. So as a church, we haven't got it figured out, like, we, we haven't got it figured out, all right? No one's writing any books and we aren't selling any, you know, whatever. We're still figuring this out. But as a church, let's pray that we'll be a group of believers that's truly characterized by leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, and that we'll always be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit for God's glory. And I think that we can get on board with. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. First of all, thank you for your word. Thank you for the access, the unprecedented access that we have to the scripture, to the revelation uh, of God. Um, thank you for all the tools we have at our disposal. I pray that um, maybe today we'd, we'd take a look at the priority of scripture in our lives. So for those of us who need to elevate that just a little bit, maybe a whole lot, I pray that we make use of the tools available to us to engage with Scripture on a regular basis in our lives, 
We want truth to find its home in us. So God, I pray that you would uh, just show us what the next steps are for that. May we bring some other people in to be a part of that with us, to hold us accountable, to help us uh, walk alongside of us in our growth in that area. And then for us as a church, God, we are grateful for what you've done in the life of our church in these last few years. Thank you for 2022, had its challenges, but we also saw you working in lives and working in us as a church. For that, we give you all the glory. We want to get out of the way. We don't want to be a barrier to the work of the Holy Spirit in this place and in our community and what you want to do through us. So we surrender ourselves individually, as households, as a church, to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us, that you would be glorified. We want to see people enter into a relationship with you, to become learners and followers, to walk this journey with us, all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.